All right. Today's reading is is from the Immerse series, um, from Numbers, I think. And there's a bunch of verses coming together, and we don't do verses during the Immerse, so follow along. The Lord said, now said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the twelve ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out twelve men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. After exploring the land for forty days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran, and they reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered a land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anakai. Anak. The Amalekites live in Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, the Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, and all along the Jordan Valley. The Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we travel through and explored will devour anyone who goes live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought, too. Then the whole community began weeping aloud. They cried all night. Their voices rose in great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? And then they plotted among themselves. Let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. I am not a big fan of this phrase, a leap of faith. I, I really don't believe in leaps of faith, or at least I don't think it's helpful. It's not a phrase you find in the Bible, and it gets sort of attached to the Bible. I'm a big fan of steps of faith, and so we're going to be uh, sorting that out. Now, one of the reasons that I'm not a fan of leaps of faith is that a leap of faith implies all kinds of anxiety and negativity, and there's complaining that gets attached to it. And uh, a step of faith is something that you can do if you understand the context of that step. And one of the things with anxiety 
is, uh, and I've already mentioned it, but complaining gets attached to it. And if you've read this story, if you've been reading along, the one thing that struck me the most about the first uh, of this book of, of Numbers is how much complaining is going on. Did that occur to anybody else as you were reading it? Just a ton of complaining. Have you ever heard so much complaining? If you've had a family vacation, you've heard it. <laughs> I agree. But it's, uh, it's amazing how much is going on. So uh, I have a friend. I'll, I'll just share this with you. It, it, my best friend from way back. And they have two rules in their family. Two rules. I like that. You can remember two rules. The first is that everybody respects everybody else in the family. The second rule, no whining. Now, if you have a house that keeps those two rules... I want to be part of it. I'll be there. Ask me over for lunch. I, I, I'll be there. So, uh, but very, it's such a powerful thing. Uh, whining. And I want to give you a little research here that, um, let's see if I can get this going here. Just take a step. Yeah. On average, on average, and I don't know if you bring it up or bring it down, but people complain 15 to 30 times a day. Okay. Complaining feels good, so this is the emotional part. But like many things that feel good, guess what? It's not good for you. It's just, it, it really, and, it, and it, here's some ways. This is just a few of the ways. So mentally, or uh, the neuro research shows that it rewires the brain for negativity. In other words, the more complaining you do, the more likely you are to complain or be negative uh, as you go on in life. Actually, things up here, the... the, the, the Things get attached in different ways. It rewires. Uh, this is uh, along those same lines. It shrinks the hippocampus, which you may not know what that word is, but you have one. It's, a, it's an important part of your brain, which is needed for problem solving and intelligent thought. And then in the physical part of us, cortisol gets released in your body, which is uh, a contributor to both heart disease and to high blood pressure. How do, you, how do you, now how do you feel about complaining? Right? It's not so good, is it? And then it's, this is the part that uh, we're going to see in the story. It is, it is an STD, a socially transmitted disease. Yeah. And, uh, but it is like secondhand smoke. You don't have to, to, to negatively affect somebody else. Uh, you know, you, they don't have to participate. They just have to be around you. And then ultimately, they too will probably complain more. I mean, it, it, there's a, there's a, a kind of a, ang- we're going to talk about an anxiety field that we have and the anxiety and complaining uh, run together through that field. So, any complaints so far? <laughs> Didn't think so. <laughs> Reading this part of the Bible uh, and I would say that of a lot of what we're reading in the first five books. So, written roughly 3,500 years ago or, or 2,500 to 3,500 years ago. Different theories on that. But uh, reading this part of the Bible, you'll run into things that just seem so odd, right? And you have, in, for example, you have a donkey. Uh, some translations would say an ass, but we don't say that in this church. It's a donkey. You're supposed to laugh at that. Uh, a donkey that talks, Okay, well, you know, that's not part of my life, but that's in here. So how do you relate to something that's that odd? And, when, and we have a Thursday morning men's group that meets down here at QFC. All you have to do is be a man. You're, you're welcome there. 
That's the, the, yeah. And uh, we were talking about, I, and one of the pieces of advice that I give to people when we're reading parts of the Bible that are odd from another culture, another time, 3,500 years ago, it's a long time ago, a lot of things have changed, but look for the things that aren't odd. Focus in on the things that relate to your world. Has, has the, do you think it was any different 3,500 years ago about that 15 to 30 times a day thing there, for example? Or some of these other uh, things up here? I mean, has life really changed that much in the essentials in the last 3,500 years? Are people still anxious? Do you know since 2011, the anxiety in our culture has gone up astronomically? All the research on this now, and it all has to do with something you have in your pocket that you had out earlier. Thanks, Lauren. Yeah, you made us all anxious. The anxiety field, you know? Uh, so really, um, things haven't changed that much. And we still come to these T's in the road. We're going to come to, in our story today, a T in the road, and you have to choose which way you're going to go. And those moments are filled with anxiety, just like they were then. And I want to talk you off the ledge a little bit and say it's not a leap of faith, it's a step of faith that is needed at that point. So, uh, let's get into the, the story. I want, to, I want to give you the, this will be our outline, the big story, the bad story, and our story. How's that? We'll start with the big story. The children of Abraham, okay, so we remember back we started in Genesis, and there's a big mess there in the first 11 chapters, uh, after, after chapter 3, and things are spiraling down, and God chooses one man out of all the people on the earth to start something redemptive, start something new. He's going to do something new with this one man, and it's very unlikely, it's a long shot to us, it seems, at best that he would choose a man who has no possibility of ever having children to say, through your descendants, a great nation will come. And what are the odds? So if this people ever does come into existence, they will be, and this is the point, they will be a miracle people. A people who is created out of, out of miracle. And uh, sure enough, we have 25 years of waiting. It's a slow miracle, okay? But it's a miracle. And we have Isaac born. And, but the promise was made, and now we're, they were in Egypt, a great number of people. But if you're going to have a nation, you need people. But what else do you need? Land. Got it. Land. You need land. You can't have a nation without land. So this whole narrative is being driven by the promise that God made to Abraham to have a promised land, and they're in Egypt, and they cry out to God because they're so miserable. Be careful what you pray for, because <laughs> he's going to lead them out of Egypt, and where do they want to go back to? He's just answering their prayers, you know? Well, they're miserable, so they cry out to God, and God comes to, up with a, a leader, a very unlikely leader named Moses, who's living out in the desert, and who had a failed attempt at trying to be a redeemer leader earlier in life, totally flopped. And uh, so, second chance, God's a God of second chances, he meets Moses at the burning bush, and things flow from there. I want to get you the map here. Just uh, kind of get us oriented, but out here, oh, this is so cool, right there. There's, yeah, actually, I don't use this very often. Um, well, there's, we're gonna, what we're going to do is track this, the purple 
Oh, yeah, I got to get used to it. Purple. That's the traditional route. Um, there's other there's other thoughts of how they actually got there. But God met Moses right somewhere down in, in here. And um, there's there's three different possible locations for the for the Mount Sinai that we read about. And so there's the scholars argue over which one's accurate. We're going to go with the traditional one. Doesn't really matter to me, but. He gives you a picture, and so Moses then goes from here up to here, where the people of Israel are, Israel are, and then we go through the ten plagues, or the, you know, all that stuff that happens with Pharaoh, and then the parting of the Red Sea, and then they come to Mount Sinai. They come back to where Moses was originally, where the burning bush was. God gives them the Ten Commandments, and then uh, there's a bunch of stuff that happens there. But they end up staying there for about a year, and it's. Um, uh, a long time, uh, getting ready now to, to head out and um, for a new place, for the Promised Land. The Promised Land is, is up in this area. Let's see, there's the Dead Sea, yeah, so right there. And they're going to come to this place called Kedesh or Kedesh Barnea. Where is it? It's hard to see it with a... Yeah, we'll find it. Ah, to the right, yeah, right there. Right there, right there, Kedesh Barnea. Okay, so there's, there's the big picture on that. Now, the book of Numbers, somebody, some people have said this. I actually read this from a commentator. Is Okay, go in your kitchen, and everybody in their kitchen has a junk drawer, right? The book of Numbers is the junk drawer of the Bible. That's what somebody said, not me. But the reason they say that is because it's kind of a hodgepodge, if you haven't noticed. Different, different things get thrown in there. And, uh, but here's the way it breaks down. I think it's very simple. Uh, one of the, to simplify it, the first nine chapters, they're still at Mount Sinai, and they're, they're preparing to go to the Promised Land. And, and they're, they've been there almost a year. And uh, then everything's going fine in those first nine chapters. There's no complaining. The, the word complaining, I don't think, is even comes up. And then they start out in chapter 10. And in chapters 10 and 11, the, planning, or the complaining begins. And that's where the two-week... See, it's about a two-week journey if you were to just you know, map it out on MapQuest or whatever you do in those days. From here up into the Promised Land, would have, it's about 200 miles or so, which with a large number of people, you, know, you figure two weeks. But somehow those 200 or the, the two weeks turn into what? 40 years. So that's the story. And that's the story you find in chapters 10 through 21 of Numbers. And then through chapters 22 to the end, which is I think chapter 36, it's, they're just getting ready now to go into the promised land. So we're focusing in on that middle section, uh, how they end up going from two weeks to 40 years. And it's, uh, I, got, I have a great phrase I came up with on my own. It's where Gen X dies. The generation of the exile dies. Yeah. Everyone over 20 is going to die there. So, yeah, sorry, Gen Xers. Well, uh, then we're going to get, so let's get into the bad story. And uh, I want to make a case, and it's really, really easy to make, that these folks were a bunch of whiners, okay? And so I'm going to just read some stuff here, uh, a few comments, but the text sort of speaks on its own. So this is, this is uh, three days after they set out. Uh, since we don't have verse numbers in here, just if anybody wants to know, it's on page 223, and we're in Numbers chapter 10. 
So uh, it says, soon the people began to complain about their hardship. And the Lord heard everything they said. It doesn't mention what the hardship was, but they began to complain. Three days into the, the trip. Okay? And then, uh, down a little further, then the foreign rabble, uh, I'm going I'm to come back to that phrase. That's a loaded phrase in our day. Uh, then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. Uh, so I want you to just pay attention here. That is, that is a good translation, but we have to be careful. Not, not every foreigner was, a rab- was complaining. This is, these are the rabble rousers, okay? They, uh, they were people that had joined Israel, and God is for that in, in this Pentateuch. He's, he's good with the foreigner, as long as they come into the community and become part of the community in a, in a positive way. But these people who had joined with Israel, maybe with hope of a better days, uh, began to complain about the food. And just to illustrate, uh, if I think um, I'm going to do it here in a minute. I'm going to get that slide back up. But remember what I said about uh, complaining is contagious? So they complained first, and then here's the next phrase. And the people of Israel also began to complain, Oh, for some meat! They exclaimed, remember they've been eating manna now for a year. Manna is like this angel bread that comes down from heaven. And, but any, I guess a year of anything, okay? you know, I mean, maybe, okay, well. But they began to complain. And um, we remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And we all, yeah, we all had cucumbers and melons, leeks, onions and garlic, all that we wanted. But our appetites are now gone. All we ever see is this manna. Truly the children of Israel. These are, these are the words of children. You know, I remember when I was at, uh, I actually went to Seattle U my first year of college. And I don't know what it's like these days. I, I hear it's better. But the food, the dorm food, you know, the first few weeks it tasted really good. And then it just kind of flattened out. And then you start complaining. And the more you complain, the worse it tasted. <laughs> I just, so by the end of the year, uh, you know, you sit around and you just eat your meal and it's all you talk about is how bad the food is. And it just the more you talked about it, the worse it tasted and da-da-da-da-da, com- you know, kind of proving the research here. The brain cells get rewired and it affects the taste buds getting rewired, I guess. But uh, that's what's going on here. And there's a little bit of nostalgia going on. And it's truly a case of nostalgia isn't what it used to be. They... They are seeing life through, what, sep- like a sepia, you know what I mean by sepia photograph, like romanticizing the good old days when they were in great misery crying out to God about how bad it was. Rose-colored glasses, whatever, but our, our minds can play tricks on us and they're falling into a trap. And then Moses actually complains. And uh, I love his complaint. And actually, complaining isn't all bad. Uh, There's times where you have to complain. And Moses is not a chronic complainer, if you've been reading. He's not somebody who just sits around and looks at the negative. But here's what he says here. I love this complaint. It's one of my favorite complaints I've ever heard. So just, if you need to complain, follow Moses' complaint. This is really a good one. You ready? He says to God, Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me and saying, Give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this Lord 
is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. I just love that complaint. It's a good one. Um, but he's, and you know, if you read the Psalms, it's okay to complain to God. But not in a chronic way. Not in a way that shows lack of trust in him, but a way that shows that he's the way to get out of this. This is what Moses is doing here. He's going to the Lord complaining. They're just complaining to whoever will listen. Uh, I was, this is a kind of funny story, but it wasn't, it wasn't any of you, but, uh, we're, yeah, I was, I was, yeah, yeah. Well, it could be, but I'm just protecting you, right? Okay. So, you know, we're in the season of Lent. And this was, this was a few years back. And somebody came up to me and I thought, this is a great thing. They said, I'm giving up complaining for Lent. By the way, we're only halfway through Lent. If you want to, there's still time to do this. Isn't that a great thing though? What a great thought to give up the 15 to 30 times a day. So I said, well, how's that going? And he started complaining. <laughs> It was really fun. I was able to point that out subtly. Yeah, it's hard. This is uh, Wendell Berry is an author that I really uh, I, I love. So he wrote a book called Jaber Crow, and this is something that he this is his writing of Jaber Crow, the character, the main character in the book. It says he never complained. He seemed to have no instinct for the making much of oneself that complaining requires. That's a good one. That's, that's what it requires to be a chronic complainer, is to make much of oneself. All right. So let's look at what happens then in this story. And I want to get, the, I want to get the, that back up there, just so you can... Uh, see some of these things oozing out of the story, so to speak. And this is in chapter uh, 13, 14, and um, page 227 in your immersed readings. They, they have 12 spies that go into the land, these, these, one from each tribe, and they are to spy out the land and to come back with a report. And um, so 10 of the spies uh, have a negative report and two have a positive report. And uh, they were up there for 40 days. And this is at that place called Kadesh Barnea, you know, two weeks out on the road. And uh, they begin the report by saying, you know, it looks really good, just like you said, the land of milk and honey, using the imagination to stir up positive things. And we all kind of, hey, this is going to be great. And then you come to the word, but. You know, that conjunction, that's worth 40 years, that conjunction right there. But, let me read this for you. The people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. I loved it when Curtis read, he said Anaka. Uh, that would be more of a female version. And uh, maybe they had big women too. I don't know. But uh, we're, we're into this season where, where there's all these movies with super women. So who knows? But 
the Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, and the Termites, they might have said. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, they're, they're exaggerating, is what they're doing here. And the Canaanites live along the coast. So there's a lot of negativity here that, you know, the stage has been set. I mean, they're, they're pre-wired for it. We've looked at that. The, 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 the neuro-research stuff, the plasticity of the brain, how it works, and uh, the shrinking of the hip. It's all there. And it's socially spreading. There's a lot of groupthink going on. Uh, one of the favorite strategi- strategies for those who are the... Um, how do, I, how do I say this? The really good complainers. I mean the real whiners. Those who have PhDs in whining. <laughs> One of their strategies is to catastrophize. So take something that could be bad. I mean, maybe, you know, you read it either way. And just take it out to the extreme worst case scenario. And that's what you see going on here. Now, I want you to, I want to ask you, and I want to... And, uh, recruit the Holy Spirit in this, which, you know, I, I mean, he, he's the one who searches our hearts. So I want to ask you, are you a complainer? Are you one who would catastrophize something? Haven't we all done it at some time? I mean, maybe there's a few of you, the sanguine types that haven't. But, I mean, it's, it is normal, and maybe it's good to just kind of acknowledge our, our tendencies here. So let's break down that word catastrophize a little bit more. And it it depends on two things, at least. And the first one is a loss of identity. You forget who you are. So in this text that was read earlier, do you remember how they now see themselves? What's the word they identify with? In the animal kingdom, it's about that big, grasshoppers. That's how they see themselves. And they say they, that the, uh, all these ites out there see them as grasshoppers. What, did you ask them? And they told you that? You imagined it, but we'll come to the word imagine here in a minute. But identity. Whatever your identity is, is from what, that from which you know, it's come, it, things come out of you. And what God has said, let's go back into Exodus chapter 19. What does God say to his people? These are identity-creating words. He says, you are my treasure. You are going to be a kingdom of priests. And this is where he gives them the Ten Commandments. I mean, those are just two places where identity creation comes in. Allowing God to speak into who we are. And then we don't feel like grasshoppers. And we've all felt like grasshoppers at some point in our life. We might call it something else, but small people, at least. Small-ish. And everything else is huge-ish out there. Um, our insecurity, based on our, our, our insecurity of our identity, is like a Petri dish for anxiety and uh, complaining, negativity. So what do you think? Isn't that true? If you know, if you really, so this identity is so important. Um, so, the second word, though, is imagination. And it's one of the most powerful parts of the human being is your imagination. And I love the imagination. It has such power for the positive. But it also, whatever power it has for the positive, in, the, in you know, getting twisted around, it can be also very, very negative. 
But if you look at all the positive metaphors and images that God gives us in Scripture, I mean, just the land of milk and honey is meant to, at least in there, you know, we might not think of that so much, but we know what it means. It, it would be something that would just uh, flood their minds with blessing. And that's from God. He wants to, he wants to fill their minds with blessing. Uh, but they are using their imagination to think of the worst case scenario and here's, here's part of that. If, if only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained, why is the Lord taking us into this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better to return to Egypt? And they plotted, let's get somebody else to lead us, not Moses. So their, their, their imagination is, you know, back to the Egypt as a place of great blessing, which it wasn't. Uh, do you ever, uh, some of you love Winnie the Pooh. Who am I talking about in Winnie the Pooh here? Eeyore! Some of you are Eeyoreans. That's what we're talking about. Just seeing everything negatively. And remember what happens when you see everything negatively. In fact, we might, we don't know how those uh, million, I don't know how many, many people died in the wilderness of Gen X, but cortisol gets released in your body, heart attacks, high blood pressure, etc., etc. I have a theory on how they died. <laughs> it's not good. The great price that you pay, both you and those around you. But fundamentally, fundamentally, even beyond the uh, identity and the imagination stuff, what they're saying is God. These giants that we can see with these eyes are bigger than you are. That's what they're saying. Total lack of trust. They come to that T in the road and they feel like they have to take a leap of faith based on nothing that God has said. That is, that's what a leap of faith is. You leap into the blindness, you fling yourself into the unknown. When God has specifically given them identity, he's filled their imagination, he's given them a promise, he says, this is what I'll do for you. They come to that T in the road and they shrink back. And do they pay a price? One of the things we learn about God in this scripture and other places is that he will forgive, but he doesn't let you get away with stuff. And you still pay the consequences. It's just the way it is. He wants them to learn the tragedy of the story is that they are so close to the, the promised land and they just can't take that step. Just a step of faith based on what God has said. They need to watch Rocky and Hoosiers and Rudy and what else, you know. Remember the Titans and, you know, some of those movies that we have to spur us on. But... Uh, just the sense of we can't do this is so huge. Their negativity overwhelms them. Except for Joshua and Caleb, there were those that did enter the land from that generation. All right, here's how we're going to do the our story part. I'm just going to lead us in a prayer. And uh, so, but this is this is meant to be a participatory prayer. I mean, I really want you to enter in uh, for you. The Holy Spirit. We believe he's here, right? That's part of what we believe. Okay, so let's, let's enter into prayer. And I'm just going to ask you some questions. Take an inventory on some of this stuff. Close your eyes. And uh, we pray for the Holy Spirit to give us extra insight beyond our own, uh, beyond our own selves.
And I'm going to ask you the question, what would you have done? Would you have identified with those 10 in their group think of negativity and complaining and anxiety? Or would you have identified with the two holding on to God's promises, taking that step of faith? You know yourself. Or the Holy Spirit can enlighten you. What would you have done? Does your imagination, does it go towards the identity-creating words, listening well to what God has said to you, of who you are, that you are his child, that you are his treasure, that you are his beloved that you are the one that he died for. Can you hear that personally? See, the Holy Spirit is the one who makes that personal to each of us. Or are you one who is just continually being shaped by the anxiety fields that are almost palpable around you and by your own insecurities? I mean, aren't you hungry for that deeper identity in God? Answer that question, you and God. And maybe what is that next step? It seems like we're always at a T in the road. There's something there that creates, potentially creates anxiety. It's a big step. We can go left, we can go right, or other options. And, and if you're at one of those places right now, maybe it has to do with a hard conversation with somebody or... Um, being more generous, upping your prayer life, whatever it is. You just have a sense that God wants something for you. Can you just take the leap scenario out of it and say, oh God, I want to take this step with you based on what you've said. Lord, we give uh, all of this to you. These are probing questions that your spirit asks us. And we remember your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.